This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. Diego ready to go with a first pitch on its way. Swing and a line drive left side of the infield. Fielded by Wendell. He made the catch! Race win! Race win! Race win! And they're on their way to the American League Championship Series as they knock off the New York Yankees 2-1. to one. Coming up, we'll recap the action from this past week, take a look around Major League Baseball, and sit down for in-depth interviews with the biggest names in the game. Just a swing and a drive, hit well in the air towards right. Mookie Betts going back to the wall. Gone! A first-inning homer for Randy Arozarena, number 10 of the postseason. It's one nothing Rays. Here's your host, Neil Solons. Good morning and welcome to our show. Today you'll hear from Mike Brasso about his memorable moments from 2020. We've got Doug Wechter of Valley Sports Sun on the week gone by. Prospect Josh Lowe will discuss starting the minor league season, as will Jeff McLaren. Plus, we'll look at the American League surprises with Mark Feinzand of MLB.com. We continue on this week in Rays baseball, and our featured guest this week is certainly one of the more likable Tampa Bay Rays, I think from a fan base and in the clubhouse too, and that's Mike Brasso. Mike, we certainly appreciate a few minutes this is your first full year in the majors. Does it feel like that with all you've been through? Um, well, th- first of all, thank you for the warm welcome there. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, it, it's it's a lot like last year as far as, you know, the protocols go and, and the different circumstances. That's outside of just the aspect of the game. But, you know, the fans starting to slowly creep their way back in the stadium. And, and uh, you know, yeah, it's, it's starting to feel, uh, you know, a little bit more like normal. You guys have had kind of an up and down first month here. Is it hard to get in that mode of, hey, it is a six month season because you played a two month season last year um, and it's been a while? Or is it easy for you because that's what you're used to? Yeah, I think it's one of those things where, um, you know, it's not ideal where where we're at right now, but you have to constantly remind yourself that, you know, we're not in 2020 anymore where, you know, you have a bad month. It's, you know, it's not a good outlook for the rest of the season with, with only being a two-month season you know we got to constantly check ourselves and and realize that this is a marathon now it's not that sprint that we were uh you know adjusting to last year we got to readjust back to to the six-month season and and know that you know this team is still pretty solid and and uh you know we can do a lot of damage you know especially later in the months or later in the year and you know we get guys healthy we get guys getting into their swing and getting in their groove um you know good things are going to start to happen speaking of that because it is your first year we're still getting to know you a bit are you a guy who notoriously is a slow starter a fast starter what's normal for you yeah i'd say years in the past i'd i think i'd lean towards more of a you know hot start than a slow start kind of guy i've always been kind of guy that uh you know really takes the the first couple months of the year um you know leading into spring training really seriously and and really pride myself on getting ready to go right away um right when the season starts so yeah a little bit uncharacteristic i'd say uh from my personal standpoint and and what i expect out of myself like i said it's a it's a marathon this year so like I i gotta Got to make sure I keep myself in check as long as uh, as well as the whole team as a whole. Tell me what you do to help with that, because, you know, obviously in some big moments, you've handled yourself extremely well uh, since joining the Rays. How do you slow down the moment? What do you do when you're off the field to help you with that so you're not thinking 24-7 about results or, or and staying with process? Yeah, I think it's a lot of... Um you know, making sure that I, I can go to bed on a daily basis, uh, knowing that I put in the work, um, you know, if, if I'm putting in the work and obviously this sport's very result oriented and, and it's very frustrating when the results don't come, but you know, there, there's that sense where, you know, things always come for us full circle. So I, I truly believe the, the hard work and, and the preparation and, uh, you know, what we put on a daily basis always comes around. And at some point, um, uh, throughout the season, it, it'll, uh, It'll pay off. So that's the mentality behind it. Tell me um, from your standpoint what you worked on the most this offseason and how at least you felt. Sometimes results don't necessarily coincide with how you're feeling. 
Yeah, I think a lot of it was, um, you know, just minor swing adjustments, nothing too crazy as far as that side of the game goes. Um, but a lot of it was just uh, making sure I was versatile and athletic enough to, to kind of cover different positions, knowing that I was kind of going to play that role again this year, and, and which is perfectly fine. I, I embraced that role, but um, I think there was times last year where, you know, I wasn't as prepared or, or maybe I put, didn't put my body in the right position, you know, based on whatever position I was at for the day. I, I really I took that to heart. I didn't want that to carry over to this year. So a main focus for me was a lot of first step quickness, a lot of uh, agility, um, trying to be more athletic as a whole. Uh, I think that's going to play, you know, wherever you're at in the field, the more athletic you are, obviously the benefits are greater. So that was a big concern and big focal point for me. Physically, um, it's important to feel good, but mentally too. How, what have you, in the first couple of road trips and you're about to embark on your third one, has there been other things that you were able to do this year that let's say you couldn't last year? And if so, what have you enjoyed most being able to do? Not so much. I mean, we are allowed to to have more freedom and, and you know, maybe take a walk around uh, the city that we're in, have some outdoor dining. But at the same time, the, the road trips that we've gone on so far hasn't been the most ideal weather conditions for those uh for those kind of experiences, um, you know, Boston, KC, uh, New York, all a little bit chilly this time of year. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of a lot of it's just trying to just trying to separate, um, you know, baseball life from from reality, uh, not reality, but, um, you know, personal life. So a lot of it is just that distinction, the separation, um, making sure one thing doesn't carry over from personal to, to professional life. And um, I, I think that's uh, that's the way at least I go about it. Are you a video game guy or you, you read books? What do you do to occupy your mind? Not so much a video game guy. I do got a, a couple books that I like to read. Um, it's nothing too crazy. A lot of downtime, just, you know, talking to family, catching up when I get the chance. Um, yeah, not, not too much else other than that. This trip uh, coming up is California, so you're actually going to be able to enjoy a little bit outside. And it's also part of it where you made your big league debut in Oakland. What do you remember about that most? Oh, wow. A lot. I, I remember, I could probably tell you everything that happened since I got off the plane on that uh, that trip to Oakland. Um, I'm excited. It's, a, it's like I said earlier, it's, a, it's all about coming full circle. So that's where I got to officially make my debut. Um, I'm looking forward to getting out to the warm weather. I got some family out there, actually, that's going to be able to come to the stand, uh, come to the games this year, which is exciting. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, to answer your question, the biggest thing I remember is probably, you know what, honestly, I, the nerves walking up to the plate was probably bigger than actually, like, stepping into the box and just, like, getting the game going. I think everything that was leading up to that first at-bat was kind of just, like, the the high tension, the, you know, everybody just looking at you, you got all the cameras on you and everything. That's where it was more nerve-wracking than actually just stepping in the box and playing, so... I think once I stepped in the box and, and got into a good hitter's count and, and kind of poked that, that first at-bat single through the four-hole, that was, that's obviously um, probably the most memorable moment uh, of that day. Yeah. Beyond the moments you had last year against New York, is that your favorite moment in your big league career? I think so. I, I do. I think it's like... Um, that's 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 the moment that like kind of makes everything that you worked for just a little bit more rewarding it's like you know all the work that you put in in college and in the minor leagues and now you officially got the call up and and now you can you can take a ball home and say i you know i got a big league hit so it, it's very gratifying it's very memorable and it's obviously something that's that's going to be you know i'm going to be able to tell my kids one day that you know all the, the full story so it, it's pretty cool this past week, you got to face uh, your former high school teammate um, in Sean Manaya. Was that is that weird still to face him? I know you were separated by a couple of years, but what is that like? And is there a little bit of a bragging rights between the two of you? <laughs> I wouldn't say I, I wouldn't say it's weird. I think it's I think it's unique. I think it's you know it's one of those things that we both realize that not too many people are where we're at from where we came from. And uh, so, yeah, I think that part makes it a little bit more special. And, and, you know, it's cool to be able to talk about that in the off season when we get together every once in a while. So I, I wouldn't say there's necessarily bragging rights, but it's definitely brought up in conversation. And, uh, you know, hopefully in the future we get a few more chances and I can, uh, you know, maybe ta uh, turn the tables on them a little bit. <laughs> I think we'd all be OK with that. Uh, since you guys came from uh, basketball country in Indiana, who's the better uh, basketball player do you have? <laughs> I'd say I probably got him on the handles, but he could probably take me down low. So I don't know. A game one on one, uh, I'm never gonna not bet against uh, 
bet on myself, but uh, you know, I'll probably have to stay on the perimeter against him. Cat chatting with Mike Brasso in This Week in Race Baseball. And Mike, um, later on in the program, I'm going to um, be talking a little bit about the start of the minor league season. This year is going to obviously be different. There was no minor league season last year, but I'm curious your take as a guy who was an undrafted free agent about the fact that they've reduced the number of teams and it could reduce opportunity for guys like yourself, the future Mike Brosses of the world. What's your take on that? Yeah, no question. I think, um, you know, if I'm in those guys' shoes, like right now compared to when I signed in 16, I probably am not in pro ball. And I probably got to go on with my life. I mean, it's it's matter. I mean, it's the reality of it, which is unfortunate. Um, there's going to be a lot of lost jobs that I think, you know, Given the right opportunity and the right environment, a lot of guys can thrive in pro ball, even though they might not have been necessarily touted highly in, in high school or college. So, yeah, it's a tough one for me. It, it really is. It's a it's a tough one to swallow because I know there's so many guys that like I see just and, you know, in my small city in the off season, just guys that can play the game and, and um, you know, work endlessly. And just because they're not getting that, you know, highly scouted or highly touted, um, you know, area or those region scouts that are getting after them. It's just, you know, it's disappointing to know that, um, you know, their possibility of making it to the big leagues or even in pro ball in general is going to be that much tougher um, with the limited teams. So, yeah, it's uh, it's it's a tough one to swallow. Yeah, you know, I look at KK too. I mean, he was a 31st round pick. Paul Campbell was what, late 20s? And now they're, you know, this year's draft is only going to be 20 rounds. So anyone after that is is going to have to decide, do I want to sign or do I want to move on? Right. Yeah. And that's tough. It really, I mean, there's so many late bloomers, um, especially in this game. You got guys learning, you know, their body and I mean, you got guys in the big leagues that are different players than what they were five years in the big leagues. So it's like, it's tough. It really is. You never, the game never stops growing and you never stop learning. And one day things can just click for you and become a completely different player. And by then it might be too late for people to see you. So yeah, it's a sad story. Fair enough. Um, You obviously are well known for, you know, the way you handle yourself for the moments that you've had. What was the neatest, I don't know, tweet? email call that you got since the moment you had against Raldis Chapman in game five last year? That's a good one. Um, I've had a lot of good conversations with some really, um, really cool people and people that I look up to. I, I think, I think I mentioned this in spring. I, the one that kind of just stood out to me the most, I guess, to answer your question, just because I haven't had any past, um, I guess, interactions with them, but, uh, tweet i guess uh bryce harper actually uh reached out um i thought that was really cool just someone of his his stature and, and his uh credibility and the way that he carries himself and how passionate he plays the game something that i really idolize and, and really want to take and be a part of my game so um yeah when he kind of reached out and, and mentioned how you know how cool it was or or how much that he um you know respected that move it was uh it was pretty cool of that whole scenario what are you most proud of personally about the way you handled everything i guess hitting a home run <laughs> i think yeah and, uh, i think the big uh, i don't know I, a lot of it was just um you know knowing that i had so many guys on my side and 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 people rooting for me during that situation and be able to pull it off and you know help the squad move on to the next round which wasn't even main focus that entire series it wasn't just a personal battle between two people or or uh you know a group of people it was it was knowing that we needed to win this game to move on and um yeah, it was it was a pretty amazing feeling given all the outside factors and, and storylines just to just to put the ball in the or the barrel on the ball and, and get it over the fence. Um, obviously, that's what we all work for. So that's probably the proudest moment <laughs> to be able to slow the game down there and in the two homer game in New York. What did that teach you about yourself and how can it help you going forward? Yeah, I think it was just more staying within myself and, and being in the present, not thinking too far in the future, too far or too much in the past. Um, I think that's going to help me and my career and my development moving forward. And yeah, I, that was a big stepping stone. It made me realize that I can, it can be done and don't have to really listen or, or pay attention to anything outside of just playing the actual game. Well, continue to do that. Continue to stay grounded, Mike. And we appreciate some time on This Week in Race Baseball. I appreciate it, Neil. Always a pleasure. Thanks, man. That's Mike Brasso, and we'll continue right after this. You're listening to the Race Baseball Network. Well, we continue on This Week in Race Baseball in time to take a look at the week gone by. And joining us from Bally Sports Sun is our good friend, Doug Wechter. Doug, thanks for a few minutes. Of course, Neil. Anytime, buddy. Let's start with a week where we really got to see 
kind of the future, which is now too, in Shane McClanahan and Luis Patino, starting back with uh, Sunday when Luis made his debut for the Rays. What has been most impressive about both those kids in their first appearances in a Rays uniform? Well, boy, I mean, it's tough not to say the stuff alone is just off the charts. I mean, you go back to Patino, and I love the fastball, love the arm action that he brings, but his slider is absolutely electric. And you can see why, you know, Eric Neander and the Rays uh, really coveted him in that trade. So bringing him over is going to be really good for the future of this team, not to mention he's so young. I think he's still only 21, something like that. So uh, crazy to think he's already in the big leagues and you know Kyle Snyder is going to be able to work with him mold him how he wants him uh some really good things coming from Patino and I mean my goodness McClanahan is you know you don't even have to watch baseball to see him and how different he is and how how much life his stuff has no doubt and, and even if you're looking at the now I mean as a Tyler Glass now gets joined by a stretched out Shane McClanahan and a stretched out Luis Patino and, you know, Brent Honeywell later in the year, Brennan McKay to add to the Josh Flemings and the Ryan Yarboroughs, it's going to make the race that much tougher, I think, going forward. Well, and that's exactly what they're looking for. And I think that was probably the plan for the race for the most part is, you know, let these guys develop a little bit more in the minor league system. And when they're ready, uh, it's almost going to be like you're training for some plus guys, right? You are instantly impacted by the talent that is coming up. And now I would say that to rely on young guys coming up to make a huge impact is typically not what you do in the major league level because you don't know how they're going to react at the big leagues. You don't know if you can really count on them. But just with the way that the Rays have developed through the minor league system and into the big leagues and how they don't ever rush guys, they always wait until they're ready. And when they prove they're ready, that's when they bring them up. And you got so many guys on that cusp that have proven the fact that when they are able to get in the big leagues, they're not going to shy away from the pressure. They're not going to go out there and you know have to change a lot of things just to make it work. Uh, they're going to go out there and be themselves, be comfortable. Uh, and that's a testament to, you know, the whole Rays organization, but specifically, you know, the minor league system and the way that Ke uh, Kyle Snyder is able to handle them when they do get to the big leagues. You know, these guys are going to come back up and make immediate impacts. And if it's halfway through the season or if it's before that, you can instantly insert them in and feel like you have a strong shot at going out there and winning every game that you see these guys you know, getting, getting playing time in. So it's really a great thing to have for, for the Rays. It's the depth that we've been hearing about for the last three to five years. And now we're starting to see it come through fruition. And the Rays have kind of had to hold serve, so to speak, in this tough stretch where they're playing 30 out of 31. But Saturday, they got back Cody Reed. Saturday, also Pete Fairbanks threw a live VP and looked very good. So it looks like the Rays are starting to get some pieces back in the bullpen, which long term is going to help because a lot of guys already have been thrust into bigger roles than were expected. 100%. It's going to actually work out with their benefit. I mean, look, Pete Fairbanks coming back in the mix is going to be huge for this bullpen. Uh, great shot to the arm. Uh, definitely bolster specifically the back end of it. You know, Diego Castillo in the current bullpen, uh, he's done such a fantastic job overall, just being consistent, going out there and, and getting the job done. He's really been the hammer so far with all the other guys, you know, going down with injuries or, um, you know, with the turnover that they've had to deal with. But aside from Diego Castillo, you're starting to see some names pop up there and get inserted into big situations that, they might not have been accustomed to before, but now, like you said, Neil, they're going to be comfortable moving forward. And that's one good thing about, you know, the way that Kevin Cash manages the game is the fact that he will put guys in situations depending on the analytics and the matchups. And it really doesn't matter if it's a pressure pack situation or not. He's going to trust the analytics behind the move. And a lot of times these guys have not been in those situations before, but they are successful. And they're successful because Cash puts them in the right spots. Uh, so just the confidence that's being built in the bullpen and the turnaround that we've seen in the bullpen lately, uh, it bodes very, very well for the Rays moving forward into the season. Because we all know the struggles they had, you know, the first week, week and a half of the season where they gave up, I think it was 24 runs in the first 25 innings. And now you see them all settling in, all feeling comfortable in basically any role that Cash puts them into. And you see them consistently get the job done. So it's getting back to the way that the Rays like to play the game, you know, a good start and hand it off to a bullpen that can really dominate. And that's what we're starting to see. Yeah, I mean, you add Fairbanks and Reed to a group of Castillo, Thompson and Springs and Kittredge. And all of a sudden you have potentially six guys you can count on, which certainly is critical with all these games in so many days. And I think the other thing that's taken a toll on this group is, 
you know, offensively, the Rays have obviously had a really tough time with runners in scoring position. That does put some pressure on the pitching, doesn't it? Oh, 100%. You know, I, I've been on teams before to where you feel like your offense is just slug. It, it, it's lacking. And when you go out as a pitcher and you give up one or two runs, you, you're almost to the point where you're like, oh, man, I can't give up any more runs. I have to pitch perfect or we're going to lose. And anytime you pitch like that, you're pitching away from contact and bad things happen. And so if our offense can get rolling a little bit more, it will definitely give the pitchers you know, more confidence to go attack the zone, pitch to contact, get quicker outs. And that's when really good things happen. So, you know, the potential's there. And we've all seen the potential from a lot of these guys who just uh, it seems like they're all slumping at the same time. Uh, you know, Austin Meadows has flashed some brilliance and he's also um, not hit his group this year. And hopefully he can turn it around a little bit and get hot. He's starting to see Brandon Lau starting to make good adjustments and, and hit the ball a lot harder lately. You know, these guys are going to be a big part of this offense. And once they get going. Uh, it's going to be great to see because, you know, Joey Wendell has been consistent all year and there has been some guys that have been consistent, but you know, one through nine, we really got to start putting the ball on the bat or the bat on the ball and, um, and see if we can put some more runs up there, put some crooked numbers up to support this pitching staff. You talk about consistency in the pitching staff. How impressive has the first month for Tyler Glass now been and how good can he be before the year's up? Well, I, I was literally just talking to somebody this morning about Tyler Glass now, and we were talking about how that third pitch, the slider, has brought him to a new level. And now you got a chance to go out there, and if one of your three pitches isn't on, well, you still have two to go through. Uh, last year, if Glass now was out there and his curveball wasn't landing in the strike zone, well, everybody would just sit dead red on the fastball. Uh, now you can't do that. Now we see Glass now going out and, you know, Pitching with the fastball slider early, getting quicker outs, and then he goes with the hammer of the curveball to get the strikeout a lot of times. And, you know, for a guy featuring 98 to 100 miles an hour, uh, releasing the pitch almost seven feet in front of the pitcher's mouth, it's unhittable when he's in the zone. And now you add to it the fact that you can't sit on any pitch. Uh, it's just he has been so impressive, and he has been consistently a guy that will be uh, in Cy Young Award talks because his stuff plays out. His pitchability is now playing out because he's so athletic. Uh, he's able to make adjustments quickly, right? He's starting to understand what he needs to do to get deeper into a ball game uh, and, and really make an impact on the map. And I'll tell you, man, he is one of the most special arms I've seen come through at the major league level in a long time. I, I honestly don't remember seeing a talent like that. Uh, you know, if you're a, if you're a scout looking for a talent on the mound, you would build a guy like Tyler Glass now. 6'8", 100-mile-an-hour fastball, devastating curveball with a slider that can wipe anybody out. I mean, there's nothing to not like about this kid, and I just feel like the, us as Rays fans are, uh, you know, we're privileged to be able to watch this guy go to work every five games. Well, I'm certainly hoping he stays healthy all year, no question about that. Doug, good stuff. We appreciate it, and we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, of course. Neil, thanks for having me on, buddy. And that is Doug Wechter of Bally Sports Sun. We certainly appreciate his time. Before we continue, why don't we pause for station identification? You're listening to the Rays Baseball Network. WTAE St. Petersburg, W237CW Pinellas Park, WBTP HD3 Clearwater, W224BE Brandon, and iHeart Radio Station. Well, we continue on this week in Rays Baseball, and the alternate site is now complete. And I guess you could say joining us from the Durham roster now is Josh Lowe. And Josh, we appreciate a few minutes. Yeah, thanks for having me here. Tell me, first of all, um, since you were part of the alternate site last year, how different was it last year to this year? Obviously, the Rays have done a, a really good job of running both the alternate sites that we've conducted so far. You know, don't really want to harp on too much last year. That's kind of in the uh, in the book now. We're, we're closing that page, moving on. But they did a, a great job of running that, trying to keep all the guys ready that weren't actually playing in a season. This year, I feel like um, there's more of an intensity about it. The games, we were able to actually play some longer games, play against other affiliates. We played the Blue Jays. Uh, we played the Marlins a few times. Um, so it was nice. You know, there was more of a game type atmosphere this year and you know we're all we all knew that we're getting ready for some sort of season it was just a matter of when that was going to start and thankfully you know it's here and it'll be here in a week and we're all pretty excited down here to to get things going on the road i've got to imagine that's the case i know last year there was a lot of individual instruction was there much time for that or was it more kind of finding your swing using this as a second spring training so to speak 
you know, it, it did feel like more of a, a spring training in some sorts. Last year was definitely a lot more individual because there was less guys at the facility. This year, we were kind of bouncing around using only the visiting big league clubhouse for spring training and then the game field and field five. And we couldn't go over to the other side of the complex at all because they have the minor league camp going on over there. So there was more of a... You know, there's more game type feel when it comes to, you know, finding yourself during your bats and games and stuff like that. So a little more bit of competition, getting in the box, getting off our pitchers and more game situations. So it's, it's definitely gotten us all ready for the season. About how many games were you playing a week, Josh? And we're chatting with Josh Lowe. I'd say we play at least four or five days a week, maybe even more sometimes, depending. I'd say probably, yeah, four to five. And they'd range from three, four innings to seven to nine innings. So we were definitely getting our work in and we're all getting ready to go, like I said. Did it help to see pitchers other than your own guys and from a competition standpoint and just because you guys know each other so well at this point? I'm yeah, it, uh, it definitely did. But, you know, there's never a time facing our pitchers where you can get in the box and take a pitch off because all of our arms are, are that good. So that's something that really helps us get ready. But suiting up against another jersey, uh, that's something that you can't really replicate. And I'm glad that we were able to do that, you know. Even coming into spring training this year, it felt nice to play against somebody with a different jersey on and get the competitive juices flowing a little bit. Pretty much you played two teams, I guess, Toronto and the Marlins when you weren't playing the Rays. Um, yep. Was it a team atmosphere? And because of the fact that most of the guys that you were with in the alternate site are now going to Durham, did it kind of feel like you were building that team camaraderie during this period? Yeah, we, we knew that uh, that was pretty much going into it. This is this is our team. And uh, it, it felt good to put on jerseys with our guys instead of playing against ourselves some more and uh, go beat up on some other teams. Um, we've got a special group down here. We all know that. And we're all going to help contribute at some point uh, during the season, no matter where we are. And we're excited to get playing. How do you feel physically and how do you feel about where your swing is right now? Because obviously now you're finally going to get into games that I guess count yeah. in some regard. I feel great. <laughs> I feel ready to go. Um, I've done a, a lot of preparation. Um, I think we all have when it comes to that, just, you know, tuning in the things that we need to, to work on, getting those small things right. And now it's just a matter of come May 4th, everything starts for real. So we can get after it. For the most part, you guys have almost gone two seasons without games that count. Um, and, and I'm guessing mentally that can be free and easy. Is there going to be a, a, a switch you almost have to flip when you start games that count and not worry about results or pro versus process? You know, I think that was kind of the uh, a blessing in disguise when it comes to all this stuff. You know, we can learn that, you know, we are playing baseball, but at the end of the day, you know, our, our lives aren't all about just what our numbers look like on a baseball card. We're still people at the end of the day. But um, definitely, I think that's helped a lot of us just to kind of take a deep breath and realize that a season's a, a long season. You know, there's ups and downs that you go on. But at the same time, just go in there, get your work done and take care of what you need to do and everything else is going to take care of itself. But for me personally, I've, I've never really felt that way. I always feel like I'm pretty free and easy when I go out there on the field. And it's just going to be a matter of continuing to do that and just go out there, have fun, help the team win. You know, you mentioned you're playing a handful of games a week at the alternate side. Now you're going to get into a normal schedule where you're playing almost every day and you're traveling again. What's going to be the hardest part, the mental of that or the physical part of that for you? I think maybe just the mental of being back on the road again, getting into a schedule like that compared to where it's the past almost two years now we've been in Port Charlotte just staying in one spot. But I think as soon as we take that first trip again, everybody's going to be like, oh, yeah, this is this is why we play baseball. This is what we do. For a living, we all know how to do this, and it's just going to come back to us all because we've been doing this our whole lives. So um, I'm pretty excited for the season. I think everybody else can say the same exact thing, and we're just ready to get things going. You obviously have built up a pretty good reputation in terms of the way you play the outfield now. And I know when you started, when you were drafted by the Rays, you were an infielder. Give me your feel for Vidal Brujan, who is adjusting to also playing the outfield in addition to the infield. How's he adjusting? Um, I think he's adjusting well. You know, obviously, it takes some time learning a new position, even when he still plays some of the infield. So um, that's kind of tough to balance. But I think I think he'll uh, he'll be fine. You know, he's a quick twitch athlete. He can run really well. He's got good hand-eye coordination. It's just a matter of kind of learning the little things in the game, what to do, where to throw the ball in certain situations, when to dive, when not to dive, when to play deep, when to play shallow, stuff like that. But our coaching staff is is really good with the way we teach guys how to play the game. 
And I think just from him playing with this group, he'll be able to understand more of where to be in the outfield and how to take over a game plan out there. I know Brady Williams managed the group at the alternate side, and obviously he's with Durham. Was it the entire Durham coaching staff, or were there some other members of, let's say, Rovers, et cetera, that worked with you guys? My The biggest people I really worked with um, outfield-wise uh, was Skeeter Barnes. He was a coordinator uh, when I was coming up. Gary Reedus was the coach in Montgomery, and then Chris Prieto, who's now the outfield coordinator. And then Ray Ruiz did a little bit. He's my manager in Bowling Green, Port Charlotte. Now he's with the Durham staff as well. Those, you know, there, I'm sure there's some others in there that I'm forgetting. I feel bad leaving their names out. But those those guys are the ones that I can think of off the top of my head that really, you know, kind of helped me become the outfielder I am to a certain point. Just giving me some some pointers on what they what they did well when they played and what helped them. And, you know, they all have a good work ethic. So I think that's the biggest thing when it comes to playing outfield. As I know, KK harps on all the time. It's work ethic. You're never going to outwork me. You know, stuff like that. Always work as hard as you can. That way you're prepared for when those tough times come. And obviously it shows day in and day out with them playing the outfield. We've already seen a number of guys from the Durham slash alternate site group help out this race team. Who's the guy? Obviously, you're one of the top prospects in the organization. Who's the guy we're not talking about enough that you get to see on a daily basis that you think guys should be may hear from this year or could really help? That's tough to say because there's there's so many of them. There's so many different there's so many different guys down here. I feel like everybody on this team could come up and contribute at some point during the season. Whether you go from you know the Padlos who've already Kevin's already been there, um, he's going to help the team win at some point. And then you get the young arms, Shane Boz, people like that. Joe Ryan, seen Honeywell a little bit, and then bullpen arms, Stetson Alley, Lou just came up, Chris Ellis, he's good, and then all the hitters. Everybody, everybody can contribute without a doubt, uh, whether you throw Sullivan behind the dish in the outfield, wherever he's going to hit, Taylor Walls, defensively, everybody's, everybody's knows what they can do and they can bring something to the table to help the team win for sure. Well, we're glad that you're going to have a chance to start playing games now that matter. Um, and we certainly look forward to the day when you can help this team in a way that matters too. Josh, we appreciate a few minutes on this week in race baseball. Absolutely. Thank you, Neil. And that's Josh Lowe. And coming up, Jeff McLaren on the minor leagues and Mark Feinzan on the season's first month. After this, this is This Week in Race Baseball and the Race Baseball Network. Well, we continue on This Week in Race Baseball. And as mentioned, when we had Josh Lowe on, the race minor league season starts this week. And uh, joining us is Jeff McLaren, director of minor league operations. Jeff, it's great to be talking about games for the minor leaguers. Hey, Neil, thanks for having me on. Absolutely. I think we've all talked enough about uh, protocols and testing and restrictions. It's really nice to talk about fastballs and curveballs and, and stolen bases. It's nice to get back to baseball. It certainly is. And obviously, from the fan standpoint, the number one guy they're all asking about is Wander Franco. What went into the decision to move him to the AAA level, having not played above A ball going into this year? Yeah, this was one that that was definitely a, a debate and a discussion amongst our group throughout camp. You know, Wander, we all know his talent, and we typically want to make sure that we're doing right by each individual player. So try to take a look at um, not necessarily how rosters are coming together, but what's best for their development. And, you know, while it does seem, you know, when you're going to look at his baseball reference page, it's going to skip straight from A ball to triple A. But really, over the last year and a half, he's been training in our alternate training site. And we took full advantage of what was going on for players' development there. And, you know, really day in, day out, even last year when we weren't playing games against outside competition, he's facing guys like Josh Fleming, Shane McClanahan, this year, Luis Patino. So he's really getting a lot of reps against guys that are better than what he would have seen in double A. And based on what we were seeing from him in that in that environment and playing with that group, felt like he was ready uh, to take on the triple A and, and felt that that was best for him to continue to be challenged and to continue to, to develop and get better. You take a look at that Durham roster and they've got him and, and Taylor Walls and Vidal Brujan. How do you manage the reps? Is he going to play positions other than shortstop? Yes, that's one of the things that that we looked at pretty hard when we were putting that group together, because there are a lot of priorities. The guys you mentioned, as well as um, Tristan Gray, who who made a lot of really positive impressions in big league camp, as well as what he did in the alternate training site. And all those guys are going to get um, on the dirt. Adal's also going to play some, some outfield. And we are going to 
be flexible and versatile on the infield with guys moving positions. Um, you know, for most of their careers, both Wander and Taylor Walls have been shortstops, and we think very, very highly of what they can do defensively at that spot. But as as you know, and as all our fans know, we we like to stay versatile at the big league level and get guys into different positions and put the be able to have as many options for Kevin to put the lineup together as possible. And one of the things we talk about with each of those players is you don't want to necessarily be tied to um, one specific spot, but be be an option. Uh, to be called up no matter where the opening might be. And so getting those guys some some reps at third base, at second base, just makes them, gives them more options to come help the big league club. It seems a lot of the needs that have arisen so far have been on the pitching side. How do you guys manage innings, not only in AAA, but at all levels, especially the lower levels, where guys have not pitched in a year? That's another one that's that's been a big topic of conversation uh, really throughout the the winter, the lead up into spring training and throughout spring training, the uncertainty about how guys bounce back from from a year off. We're used to the reasons for guys to have a gap year is because of an injury. It's very, very rare that a healthy player takes a full year off from pitching. And so there's there's a lot of unknowns. And so one thing we've done is is try to build as much depth as we can, as, as we've seen on the big league side, you know, injuries are going to pop up. Um, and we want to be be ready for that. We've also taken it slow with a lot of our buildup for for some of our bulk pitchers in the minor leagues. And so people will notice if there's a tension that we'll have, we won't necessarily have a traditional five-man rotation at, at any of our clubs to start off the year, but rather it'll be a group of seven to nine guys who are all built up to the three or four inning mark to just kind of manage the workload that they'll be dealing with early in the season. Um, still be on kind of a five-day turn but won't be going as deep into games just to make sure that we're, we're doing right by their health um, as we get into things. Uh, about you know June and into July, we'll start to see how everybody's holding up and may start to, to ramp up from there and fit guys into more traditional roles. And you have expanded rosters this year, correct? That's also, yeah, a definite benefit uh, that we were able to carry really up to 33 in AAA now, 28 at AA and 30 at the A-ball levels. And that, that does provide a lot more flexibility um, this was a rule change that was put in uh, with the restructuring of the minor leagues. But given the way that last year went, we're taking full advantage of it and going to have pretty much full rosters in each of those spots, uh, as I mentioned, to help balance workload and really just to get more players playing under the lights um, after, you know, most of them got no action, real true game action in 2020. I look at your double A roster and a couple of guys who've made big moves are Ford Proctor, who I know is converted to being able to catch and also Joel Piguero. Give us a feel for how those guys have grown. Proctor has been really exciting. He was one um, last year in, in the midst of uh, in the midst of the pandemic. He was playing playing in an indie ball league uh, back in Texas and, and reached out to us and said, Hey, you know, I'm, you know, looking at the, at my career and and what's best for me. And I'd, I'd be interested in trying catching if you guys would have interest as well. And after talking through his coaching staff decided that was something we, we felt was worth pursuing. You never know how a, a catcher conversion is going to go. We've seen some that we didn't think we're going to work out that have and vice versa. Ford has really taken to it. Uh, we got to see him a little bit in the alternate training site last year. We got to see him in instruction league as well as Australia and really the strides that he's made in every um, successive program that he's been in have been really uh, good to see. And so he's going to you know, start out catching a few days a week. We'll see how things go as, as um, the season goes on, you know, how his body is holding up uh, to try to increase that and, and see how it goes behind the plate. He's still going to get some time on the dirt, but um, really excited about what his future might bring behind the dish. Piguero's one, you know, we have a number of, of guys that will be kind of making the jump from, from low A to that double A pitching staff. And he's one that uh, got some winter ball experience in the Dominican last year. And I think that's, that's something that we've seen with a lot of players that has really helped their development. The, the things they learn from more veteran players, the way they're competing in games that wins and losses may mean a little bit more than they do at the rookie ball levels or, or low A. Um, and so he's one that, that has, We've seen a lot of maturity, um, still has, you know, big time velocity. We think highly of what he's done with his, his slider uh, to give him an extra weapon and, and think that he's ready to make that jump to the double A level. And I think on your A-ball clubs, obviously, there are a lot of interesting kids, but I think a lot of fans are curious about the two guys you got in the trade for Blake Snell, uh, Blake Hunt and Cole Wilcox. What have, you, what have you seen in the first month with them? Excited about both guys. Blake Hunt was in big league camp with us and made a really strong impression on some upper level pitchers that that were really surprised to, to know that he'd never caught above low A. Just his 
maturity, the way he thinks about the game, the way he handles himself um, behind the plate and um, continue to see that work in minor league camp. Um, you know, it's, it's a long time to, to be in spring training for all those guys that, that did double duty, both on the major league side and minor league side, but he kept his, his energy level up throughout. I think he's poised for, for a really strong year. Likewise with, with Wilcox, I mean, the, the stuff jumps off the page, you know, right when you, you first watch a bullpen session, there, there's a lot of power to it, some sharpness and a guy that we're excited to see, see pitching games. Uh, you know, we've had some really good starting pitchers come through our organization, but like I said, he's one that even from that first bullpen session, you, you start to pay attention to a little bit more closely. Well, glad to hear again that uh, guys have come in good shape and that you guys are generally speaking in good shape, all things considered right now. Hopefully lots of health and success this year. I'm sure we'll be talking to you again soon. Absolutely, Neil. Thanks for having, having us on and look forward to Tuesday. That is the Rays Director of Minor League Operations, Jeff McLaren, and we're all looking forward to the minor league season starting this week. Joining us now, executive reporter for MLB.com, who has covered the American League for many years, and specifically the American League East, that's Mark Feinzand. Mark, thanks very much for a few minutes. My pleasure. Tell me what has been most surprising to you in the first month of the season in the American League and why? Well, obviously, I think, you know, the, the Yankees having the same record or same general record as the Orioles has certainly been a uh, surprise. I think everybody expected, you know, that the Yankees were going to be among the better teams in the division, let alone the league. Uh, I think the fact that, uh, you know, their run differential has been right around zero the whole season. They're just not scoring. They're pitching pretty well, but they're just not scoring runs. And, you know, that was the one area that you figured was going to be, uh, you know, a strength for that team. Uh, on the flip side, I mean, the Royals having the, the best winning percentage in baseball entering the weekend certainly was a surprise as well. Kansas City has been, you know, certainly a feisty team. I liked, you know, they were one of the more aggressive teams in free agency early on, you know, not necessarily signing the big guys, but making some, you know, sort of under the radar moves, guys like Mike Miner, uh, Carlos Santana, trading for Andrew Benintendi. Uh, and these moves are paying off for them. They've got a, you know, a good legitimate team full of big league guys who are, uh, who are ready to compete. So uh, on the plus, I'd say the Royals. On the minus, I'd say the Yankees. And what about the Twins? Because, I mean, I, I think they've been right at the bottom in terms of the standings, yet a lot of people still expected them to compete for the division. And and there's five months left. They still very well may do. Yeah, the Twins have certainly been a surprise as well. The, I, I guess I, I lean towards the Yankees on the negative because I expected them to be better than the Twins. And also I'm based in the New York area, so it's the team I see more than anyone else. The Twins have certainly been a surprise. I thought they were going to be right up there with the White Sox all season, vying for that American League Central. I still think, as you said, that they, they could wind up there. I mean, the White Sox are a good team, and I think they're going to be you know in that race. Uh, and I think ultimately they'll probably be the team to beat in the Central. I do not know if the Royals are going to be sustainable, but the Twins have had some really hard luck. I mean, the combination, they had some COVID issues early. Uh, obviously, they had their schedule disrupted a little bit. Uh, by all of the unrest in Minnesota. And so they've had a really odd first month of a season to contend with. Um, and when you combine that with a few guys underperforming, that's not, you know, that's not what you're looking for. Buxton has been a, a huge, huge uh, boon for them. Nelson Cruz continues to do what he does all the time, but they're going to need, you know, one or two other guys in that lineup, whether it's Josh Donaldson, uh, whether it's Polanco, they're going to need a couple other guys to start hitting uh, and their pitching is going to have to sort of maintain what it's been doing. Barrios has been great. Hap's been great. Pineda's been great. So, you know, they're going to need to stay healthy and get the offense clicking a little bit and figure out the bullpen. Alex Colomay, who was one of their uh, big acquisitions this winter, has been just horrendous in the closer's role, and he's actually lost his job. So, you know, I think the, the Twins have some things to figure out, but I think they, you know, obviously with five months left, there's plenty of time to do that. No doubt. And and certainly for the Yankees, who you started with in terms of disappointments, let's dive a little deeper on them. Um, I think we all expect eventually the Yankees are going to hit, but the question is, are they going to improve defensively? Um, because and, and will the pitching hold up, especially the starting pitching after Garrett Cole? You know, obviously Cole is Cole. He's great. Uh, and there's no question about, you know, sort of what he's going to give them. I think they've had a couple of encouraging signs of late. Corey Kluber finally seemed to look like himself in his last start. I think that was a, a positive sign for them. Domingo Herman, who didn't pitch at all last year, uh, after he was suspended, he has started to look better of late. Jamison Tyon's been up and down. So I think there's there are arms there to uh, you know to get the job done. 
they just need to be a little more consistent than they were at the beginning. If, if Kluber can find even 75% of his old form uh, and go out there and give them five or six strong innings every time out, if Herman can look like the guy, uh, you know, who won a whole bunch of games two years ago before his suspension, the, the rotation, I think, should be okay. You know, the bullpen, obviously, with, with Zach Britton out for a number of months, that was a big blow for them. They've had some other injuries as well. You know, Chapman looks great. Uh, he's striking out more than two batters an inning. You know, Chad Green has, has been phenomenal for them again. Jonathan Loisaga has been good. So I, I think, you know, they've, they've got enough pitching if Kluber and Herman and Tyon can sort of straighten themselves out and find a little bit of consistency. How about the defense? Uh, because the Rays have seen them in two series, and that seemed to be the shakiest area of the group. Yeah, the defense hasn't been good. There's really no other way to, to say it. Uh, Glaber Torres has had some struggles, and I think he's, you know, when, you're, when your shortstop is struggling, that's going to be a glaring, uh, a glaring weakness. I, I, they have, you know, LeMahieu's a good fielder, or Shell is a good fielder. The outfielders uh, have, have a history of, of being solid. You know, Odor, I think, has been up and down for them offensively and defensively. And he has, um, he's not hitting a lot, but he's come up with a few clutch hits for them. But I think, you know, Torres is the guy who I think they really, if they can get him straightened out, I think everything else sort of falls into place. But yeah, they need to clean it up. There's no question about it, especially when they're playing the team that they're trying to, one of the teams they're trying to chase down in the division. The Rays have been kryptonite for the Yankees the last couple of years, and um, the way this season has started has been no different. The Red Sox are the, are the team right now that's leading the division. How sustainable are they? What would be the biggest area of concern from a Boston standpoint? Well, I mean, I think the rotation was the biggest area of concern coming into the season. Again, they have a good lineup. They should score runs. But when you looked at a rotation with Nathan Evaldi and Nick Pavetta, uh, you know, Eduardo Rodriguez didn't pitch last year and, and you know, started out on the IL this year. Uh, he's certainly a, a legitimate top of the rotation kind of guy. Martin Perez, Garrett Richards. Uh, this is not exactly a, uh, you know, a Los Angeles Dodgers rotation that you're looking at. They will get sale back at some point later in the summer, I think. That'll help. You know, the bullpen has been pretty good, considering there's not a whole lot of big names there. But I think the rotation is the one area where you look at and say, uh, you know, they've got a bunch of guys who have started off well. Can they continue to do so? Pavetta in particular, you know, he was a guy that, that struggled uh, in recent years, and, and he's pitched well. The lineup's good. I mean, you look at a lineup that's got J.D. Martinez and Rafael Devers and Bogarts and Alex Verdugo. Uh, you know, Kiki Hernandez has, has uh, started out slow but gotten some some key hits for them. Uh, Bobby Dalback started out slow after just crushing the ball in spring training. So plenty of offense there. I think, you know, sort of like the Yankees, the pitching is what's going to hold them back if something's going to hold them back. And the big question is whether they can stay healthy because they, other than Ryan Brazier, they really haven't had to sustain any injuries uh, like the Rays have or even the Yankees to some degree. Rays are seeing the A's and Astros the last two series from the Western Division. Are those the two teams you think that will contend or is the next opponent the Angels have a chance? That whole division has been really interesting. Seattle's gotten off to a nice start. The Angels have been hovering around 500 despite having the worst ERA in baseball. You know, the Astros got off to a slow start. They're starting to come on a little bit. And the A's, you know, 0-6, 13 in a row. You just don't know what to, which which A's team are you going to run into. I feel like people doubt the A's every year, much like they doubt the Rays every year. Uh, and then they just figure out a way to get it done. So, you know, Oakland certainly, I think, is the team that you're looking at. Houston has a pedigree. They've got some guys who have been there and done it before. Uh, I, I'm not sure Seattle's going to be sustainable. They're a young team. At some point, they'll bring up Jared Kalanick, which will provide a nice boost. But, you know, I just don't know if their lineup is, is deep enough. Uh, and the Angels, it'll be like always. If they can pitch, they're going to contend. But they have never can pitch, and they never contend. Uh, you know, I think everybody in the game, I was talking to some other executives from other teams this week, and they even acknowledge it'll be great for the game if the Angels can get back to the playoffs because putting Mike Trout on the game's biggest stage is only going to help this game. Every year, having the best player in the game sitting at home in October is not a great thing for the sport. So, uh, you know, we'll see first-year GM Perry Manassian, whether he can go out and make some acquisitions or whether some of the guys that they've brought in can uh, can step it up a little bit. Uh, if they can, the Angels are going to be tough. Their lineup is really good. I, I think that's a trend we're seeing. A lot of teams with pretty good lineups and pretty questionable pitching. Mark, it's going to be interesting to watch over the course of this season. Thanks very much for a few minutes. Absolutely. My pleasure. 
Well, we continue on This Week in Race Baseball and joining us from MLB Network and Fox Sports, John Morosi. And first, give me your take. We're a month into the season. In the American League, what are the biggest surprises to you to this point and why? Well, Neil, thanks for the conversation. As always, my friend, always enjoy talking baseball with you. Uh, I, I look at the American League Central and to see how well the Royals have played is pretty remarkable. Uh, I had them uh, as somewhat of a surprise AL wildcard team this year, but I did not expect they were going to be this good. And it's required a return to form for Danny Duffy. It's required Brady Singer to take the next step forward. The bullpen for Mike Matheny has been excellent. Whit Merrifield, to me, is one of the great unheralded stars of our game right now. And I think, too, we're seeing the effect of a lot of really good incremental improvements that Dayton Moore made last offseason. Michael A. Taylor is one that I think has made a big impact. Carlos Santana, his on-base skills are really important. So, And then, of course, Sal Perez, who uh, his trajectory and his career, Neil, in some ways, uh, obviously he's had some injuries, but I could see him becoming a, a Yadier Molina-type player as, as time of his long but he loves the game so much. So it's really interesting for me to see a, a middle market team win a championship and then have to rebuild and come back. And I just have a ton of respect for Dayton Moore and J.J. Piccolo and Scott Sharp, what they do there in their front office in Kansas City. So great group, and I think that to me has been the biggest surprise. But also I have to mention the Red Sox, that they're a team that I had major questions about their rotation, Neil, during spring training. Major questions. But Alex Cora has found a way to make things work, of course, a really signature performance by Nick Pavetta last week. Uh, against the Mets. And then offensively, Alex Cora has gotten the best out of J.D. Martinez and Xander Bogarts, and and both have played very well. So I think those two teams, I would say, Neil, the Royals and the Red Sox, with maybe a little bit of an honorable mention there for the Mariners being pretty competitive out west to begin the season. I guess the question is sustainability. Let's begin with the Red Sox. You mentioned they're starting pitching. Nick Pavetta, as well as he's pitched, hasn't had a full season. Nathan Ivaldi, Martin Perez, Garrett Richards have all had histories of injury issues. Is there enough depth there to sustain in this division? Well, that's a great question, Neil. And I'm, I'm somewhat skeptical there. Um, to your point, there's a lot of injury history for a lot of those pitchers. And this is where, for people like you and me, this season is going to be so much fun to analyze. Because this is not one of those years where you you make your assumptions about where things stand after 40 games and then you just assume that's going to be how it continues for the rest of the season because everybody has to deal with that that morning when you wake up as a manager and two of your five starters have sore arms because they only pitched a handful of innings last year and oh my goodness what do we do and how are we looking at the alternate site and how much depth do we have because any lead this is going to be the kind of year Neil I feel where you might have a team with a seven game lead in August who who spoiled someone else's decision because of exactly what you're describing. So I do have some concerns. Pavetta is uh, someone who does walk a lot of batters, uh, even through five starts. He's been very good. His ERA is very good. But some of the underlying numbers, walking 17 and 25 and two-thirds innings, a little concerning. So um, that's something I'm watching carefully. Richards, of course, as we know, has always had an injury history. Eduardo Rodriguez, just thrilled to see him back on the mound, of course, given all he went through last year. But I, I share your concern, and there is plenty of time for a team like the Rays, a team like the Rays, the Yankees. You, you hit on you know some of the concerns with Boston. Uh, on the flip side of that, um, you've got Minnesota, which has certainly had a very tough month. Um, what would be the concerns going forward, and how likely is it for them to kind of kick it back into gear and become one of the teams to look for in the Central? Well, it's an excellent question, Neil. And first of all, uh, last week I had a chance to work a game in person uh, on our YouTube broadcast of the Indians and Twins and Byron Buxton, a five-hit game. Oh, my gosh. One wow moment after another. He is one of the very best players in the game. So to watch him up close and his speed – uh, he was, uh, I'll tell you one quick story. He, uh, he was able to beat out a couple different infield singles on routine balls to short in that series. And there had been some talk previous to that, that he was uh, slowed down by some knee tendonitis. And uh, we asked Terry Francona about that. Of course, the Cleveland manager on the opposite side and uh, about his impressions of Buxton and Terry's line was, if he's got tendonitis, I want it. 
<laughs> which was a good line from Terry. So to me, Buxton, he's going to have to play like an MVP, I think, for them to to have success because you look at the overall depth, and Mitch Garver uh, certainly has not quite equaled the production that he had since 2019, of course. Nelson Cruz is off to a very strong start, Donaldson as well. But they need their pitching to come along. And one of the big questions I have is as you look at the rotation, Kenta Maeda uh, is off to a slow start. And he is someone who was a Cy Young finalist last year and also someone who over the 162 game seasons with the Dodgers would frequently transition to a bullpen role towards the end. So it seems to me that for, for what he's been able to do in the major leagues, the shorter season was great for him. He was tremendous in 2020. I, I'm, I'm wondering a bit for him how he's going to be able to handle the, uh, the, the overall workload of a full 162. So I, I think that overall the, their bullpen has been okay, uh, but I, I'm a little bit concerned about their rotation. And there's been some offensive inconsistencies that they should get more of their players back. Obviously, they had some COVID issues with the Twins uh, in the month of April. So I'm, I'm optimistic, Neil, for the Twins that they'll find a way to get back into this. But I also look at it and say the Royals pitch very well, and the White Sox are are a very strong team that I believe will get even stronger. So I, I I do not expect the Twins to ultimately make the playoffs, but I do expect that Buxton, with how brilliantly he has played, is going to keep that team in contention for a long time. Which division of the three is deepest and why? Uh, great question. I, I think, Neil, as I look at it, the, the central to me – is is probably the deepest division. And and that may sound a little strange uh, based on my concerns about the Twins. And of course, the Tigers are still uh, very much in a rebuild. But Cleveland is a team that, because of their rotation, there are no easy games against that team. There are no easy series against that team. Uh, as we speak here, Neil, every single game for the Cleveland Indians this year has been started by a pitcher who is 26 or younger. They are the only team for which that is true in the American League. They are still, even after trading all of these key pitchers in recent years, they're still a very, very strong rotation team. And so from that standpoint, uh, I, I would expect them to be able to hang in this race. I think the Royals are better than expected. I, I'm a believer in the White Sox. This to me, Neil, uh, and, and I would uh, be curious to hear your take on it too. I think this is the most wide open we have seen the American League in a long time. There is not a single dominant team in this league. There is no analog of the Dodgers. And so uh, I, I think there are some questions that I've got about, about the Yankees' overall strength this year. Uh, they don't seem to me to be as, as complete of a club as they were last year. So that's what the one thing is that's sort of holding me back from picking the East as the deepest division. Although the Jays getting back Springer and Hernandez – I expect them to be a lot better here as time goes on as well. And Vlad Jr., my goodness, what a what a start, what an April he had. So it's it's a lot of fun. I, I would make the quick point as well, Neil, that for us in the game who love the game, who love talking about the game, there are so many great young stars now. There's always this wintertime conversation, oh, my gosh, where are we? What's the state of the game? To me, I, I don't know what more we could put together than a month of April when you've seen Vlad Jr., Otani, Acuna, Buxton, uh, Tatis with the storylines that he's put together out there. there. There's so much great young talent, Neil. You, you got to stay up late and watch these games on the West Coast. It's a great time to be a baseball fan. I've, I've had just a tremendous time this April watching the game again, and I'm really excited about the, the months to come. I almost I feel the same way, and I'm almost disappointed when I hear so much about the swing and miss rate in baseball because I think the athleticism in the game is the best I can remember it being at. Yes, 100%. That's, that's very well said, Neil. And it's just – it's just showing up differently. The game evolves, and let's see what happens as, as the year goes on and the years go along about possible changes to rules and shifting and, and things like that. But to me, look at the players. Just just watch Byron Buxton play for a night and watch Tatis play for a night and really just appreciate the two-way talents. And, of course, Otani, you talk about two-way talent. That's the biggest of them all, what he does. this is Neil, this is so special. If Otani can keep this up, he has the chance to change the game. He has the chance to, whenever there's a conversation from a high school coach to a player or a college coach to a player, or certainly don't get me started when it's a you know, 12U coach or a 13U coach, hey, you have to pick one sport or one skill. Nonsense. Watch Otani. 
if if he can do it, then I just hope there's a lot of kids around the world who say, hey, I can do it too. And, and I want to pursue my dreams in a multiple different areas of the game. I just think he, he's got the chance, Otani does, Neil, around the world to reframe the way we think about the game. He's a transformational player. And I, I'm just so excited and fortunate that we had a chance to watch him right now. Well, the Rays will get to see him this week in their next series. Uh, John, we certainly appreciate a few minutes on this week in Rays baseball. Neil, my pleasure, my friend. Can't wait to have a uh, conversation with you in person here as the year goes along. You do such great work for the Rays. I always enjoy our conversations. If you ever have something you want to hear on the show, all you have to do is tweet me. You can do so at Neil Solons. Hey, the Rays Rookies Kids Club presented by Outback Steakhouse is back with Swagger. Kids will receive a duffel bag, American League Championship socks, and access to exclusive digital experiences with race players and staff. Now, memberships are limited. Join today at racebaseball.com slash rookies and raise up. Next week, we sit down with Mike Zanino on a Mother's Day program. For producer Derek DeBose, I'm Neil Solon. Stay tuned. The pregame show is next. You are listening to the Rays Baseball Network. Thank you for listening to This Week in Rays Baseball. Breaking ball lifted to the air, way up there, into right field and deep. Judge is going back towards the corner at the wall. Gone! And the Rays jump in front, quarter one. If you missed any of the show, catch it on archive at RaysBaseball.com slash radio. With first and second, the one-two pitch. Swing and a miss! He struck him out! Keep it right here. The Rays pregame show is next. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.